Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. This week, Max Olson from The Athletic returns to the show to talk about the spring transfer portal period. The window is closed for players to enter the portal, but plenty are in there and still trying to find homes. Of course, we'll talk some more about Deion Sanders' radical rebuild at Colorado. Who are some of the most interesting players still available in the portal? Plus, we'll get some thoughts on Max from a spring ball trip he took down to Oklahoma to check in with the Sooners and Oklahoma State. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere you like to get your pods. APPodcast.com, by the way, also check out there. You can also find my colleague Rob Motti's excellent NFL podcast at APPodcast.com. If you like what you hear, please give us a good rating and review. It helps college football fans find us and helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me this week on the show is Max Olson from The Athletic, the Portal Authority. Uh, Max leads the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast on being uh, tentatively scheduled and then canceled upon. So I appreciate his patience with me. Uh, there, th- But this week, we, we managed to lock in. So thanks for, for being patient with me, Max, and not holding a grudge. Yeah, as, as I've said to you the last time you canceled on me, I'm, I'm, I was starting to feel... Um, like Lindsey Buckingham on the uh, the SNL, what's up with that uh, sketch? You know, where it's just oh oh, we ran out of time. Oh, sorry, we'll we'll try to get you next week. Um, so man, what a, what an honor to be on on the show today. Yeah, that's a little bit of a deep cut. Hopefully, people uh, get that reference. And uh, but yeah, it definitely was not personal. Uh, definitely not personal, Max. We love having you on, especially when the transfer portal window closes on Sunday. There are still a few names even trickling in today. We're doing this Tuesday. Paperwork has to be submitted by Sunday. Uh, but sometimes it takes a couple of days for uh, compliance departments to uh, process that paperwork. So even this morning, there's a couple of names there that are popping up, and one even that made your list, right? Made the the uh, top available players. Um, but before we get into that, listen, I talked about this last week with Pat Forty when he was on the show. It was right after the CU spring game, so that was still fresh in our minds. The sure. entire breadth and width of the. De- exodus from CU had not totally been processed yet. We were still a little early in that. But now that we've seen it, I wrote about it last yesterday. That's on the wire. I'll post it in the show notes. You guys are writing a story about it. I mean, 43 guys was my count as of you know late Monday in the portal from Colorado just between the 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 spring portal window, which was only yeah. two weeks, it, it's massive. And I guess what I, my question let, let's start with: Is there a point of diminishing returns here? I you know so when you go through like it, it's baffling to me. And like I know people can see it on Twitter and stuff, but I feel like you just have to re- repeat some of these things because they're so um, they're just so unprecedented. I mean, this idea of trying to bring in you know up to seventy newcomers, I think in in one. Just out of your 85 and, and going into year one um, is nuts. I think you look at it now. Uh, they updated their roster over the weekend. There's 12 returning scholarship players. Um, and <laughs> that's it. That's all we got left here. Um, there's no, nobody list. None of them are listed as seniors. Um, you know, there's there's nobody coming back 
at quarterback, receiver, defensive line, cornerback. I mean, the backup quarterbacks at this point this season are going to be true freshmen. I mean, it's just in it's some of these position groups, you're it's stunning like what they're what they're working with right now. And obviously they have a lot of work to do in May um to to fill this thing out and get back to eighty five. Um and I think when you talk with um, folks who are experienced in the personnel space in, in college football. And, and, and I did a lot of that last week, trying to pick their brain of what, what do you make of this? Like, how, how, how would you handle this if you were in this position? Um, I think the, just the, the consensus from folks you talk to, um, you know, inside the Pac 12 and, and in other leagues is, they find it very hard to believe that the, the, the sum of the, you know, say 25 new guys you're going to bring in in May. Uh, is going to be greater than the sum of the twenty five guys you 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 cut or uh, or lost here, and so um, the just the you you truly wonder. I mean, you, you get it, like you get that they're taking advantage of um, these very specific rules that are only for first year coaches um, to make it a lot easier to run players off of your team. But there's, I mean, you know, one of the players that that left just committed to UCLA last night. Like, there's there's some decent Power Five players here that are moving on from Colorado that probably didn't need to. And uh, you know, you really wonder with the 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 caliber of player that's still in the portal right now, um, coming out of the, the the spring window, can they get good enough players uh, to to be competitive in year one? Right. And good enough depth, obviously, too. And that's what I think you're looking at here. I mean, again, we we still have they still have a lot of work to do. So we still have a lot of work to do as far as trying to analyze this uh, in an accurate way. But my instinct here is to think there they will improve greatly in their top 22. Right in their first line of the depth chart on both sides of the ball, maybe even yeah. a little bit of a bump up in their second line of the depth chart, maybe, maybe. But but I mean, you're you're basically crossing your fingers, hoping a bunch of guys don't get injured. Because I do believe at a certain point, what you're doing is, as you said, there's there's uh, Jake Wiley, who was the offensive mm-hmm. tackle who started last year, just recruited, uh, just committed to UCLA. At least a couple of those receivers who jumped in the portal are yep. likely to end up at other Power 5 schools. Um, the kid, Montana, um, help me with his name, My, Max. <laughs> Limo- so Jordan Tyson's a, a, a stud, and I think he'll end up at a Power 5 school. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, Monta- Montana, Lamonius, Craig. Craig, um, is Craig. I remembered who, who Montana and Lamonius, but I couldn't remember Craig. Yeah, Montana, Lamonius, <laughs> Craig is uh, is getting Power 5 offers all over the point, and he, all sure. over the place, and he had a 98-yard touchdown in the – uh, spring game. So you're, you're right. Like, I just don't know if you're going to bring, I think at certain point, like what they're doing now at this extreme is just shuffling players is just, okay, you're, you're gone. So we'll take you. They're also doing something that we talk about a lot when I have you on is that pedigree over production, right? They, mm-hmm. they just grabbed a bunch of guys from Florida state who didn't really play much at Florida state, <laughs> but Okay, right. like, but they were four stars coming out of high school a year or two ago. So let's see if this works, and maybe it will. But man, I, it it just seems like it's an uphill. It just seems like again, like there'll be a lot of new players, but that doesn't necessarily mean there'll be a lot of better players. Yeah, and I'm and when I talk about the like, the returning players, like I understand Colorado was one and eleven and like unwatchably bad last season. Like I definitely I realized that <laughs> we we didn't spend very much time analyzing the twenty twenty two buffs and like how good they were because they were not good. 
Um, and I, I can understand to some degree Deion Sanders and his staff feeling like you need to come in and really shake things up. And, and, you know, you want, I mean, he said from the jump, um, from, from the first team meeting, he was going to bring in his guys, um, and that he was going to need a lot of attrition to happen. And, and I could kind of understand to a certain degree that, um, maybe he looks at the team he inherited and said, these guys have lost a lot of games. Um, I'm not going to really put my trust in them. I want to put my trust in the guys that I recruit. I mean, I think a lot of coaches who walk into year one situations and, 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 uphill rebuilds you know do view it that way whether they say it publicly or not um and and certainly there's some things that Deion sanders has said in the first few months on the job that i think other power five coaches are like i can't say that publicly but he right, can and it's right. okay if he no says doubt. it and, yeah, yeah no doubt. um you know i think that um uh, but 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 just this kind of experiment we haven't seen it on this kind of a scale in the portal era. We really haven't. I mean, to put in perspective, it, you know, these portal cycles, they start in August. And so it's a 12 month period. And, you know, what we're seeing year to year now is, is there's definitely a, a kind of a steady increase now where if there's a, a power five program that loses 20 players in an off season, that's not as alarming as it used to be. That's mm-hmm. becoming a little bit more normal, especially in the sec. Um, but like you look at the leaderboard for this portal cycle, like Ole Miss has lost like 32 players. Oregon's lost 32. There's a, you know, there's a few like year one kind of situations where you do lose between 20 and 30 Colorado's lost 58. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, there's, there's nobody like pretty close to them in terms of what they're, what they're going for here. And, uh, and I think that leads to uh, a lot of intrigue across the country from people being like, can they actually pull this off and i think it gets to the other you mentioned the pedigree thing Rolf, and that's interesting is you know what's the quality of evaluation going on here uh, with what obviously you know portal recruiting really is like speed dating and, and you get these done in a week or two um you know they've had four players that they brought in as transfers for the spring uh their first spring uh that have already left the program um and so you know you're you're, you're gonna have misses and and they've already had some misses and so I'm very curious to see kind of what that final list of newcomers looks like and how many experienced players they can win on and and how many guys they're kind of betting on that that you you wonder can they keep them around for a few years. You know, they're going to be very competitive for these these, you know, top of the list, you know, best available guys like Alton McCaskill from Houston or Zachary Franklin from UTSA, but at the same time, you and I both know Ralph when those kinds of players, you know, Keon Coleman from Michigan State, when when those kind of players hit the portal, the best schools out there are not just going to say, yeah, we'll, we'll let them go to Colorado. It's fine. Like there's, there's a lot of competition for those guys once they actually become available, even if the, some of those guys might talk to Colorado or have a, have an inkling they want to go to Colorado uh, before they go in. Um, certainly these schools that have a lot of money to spend in recruiting um, are, are going to make it tough for them. Yeah. Between NIL money and the simple fact of like, do you want to go to Colorado and win six games or do you want to come here to, you know, SEC school X or Big Ten school Y and possibly play for a, a, a conference championship? Right. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's that's going to be what they're facing. I mean, as, as much buzz and as excitement as Dion has brought to that program, they are still Colorado. Right? This is not this is not a championship level program, and they're going to be competing against championship level programs. One of the things I did in my story is I tried to compare him to the other new coaches, just to put it in perspective. There of like, mm-hmm. you know, here's here's what a ter- here's what sort of a 
uh, a turnover of a roster looks like in other Power Five coaches. And, you know, just looking at the players who entered the portal since Dion has been coach, I think the number I came up with was 54. So I'm going to shave off yeah. a couple that maybe left after Durrell was fired or some of the that's ones. Right. That, yeah. That's right. Yep. Some um, of them, you know, one was preseason, a couple yeah. left after the firing. But, right. e- but even that is, I believe, a little about double what the next uh, the next highest number was, which was Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State. I think during just in his time uh, as coach at Arizona State, I think it's had twenty six or twenty seven. So it's a, it's about it's about half or maybe a little less than half, right? As far as and, the turnover and, and we've there, seen Dillingham. I mean, that staff has brought in a lot of new players. I mean, that's certainly one where you're seeing no that they are sim- similarly. Trying to really sh- completely like shake up and redo the two deep there, but like, even then, it's to, not. You don't have is, to part with fifty guys to do that either. But it's not as that. And that's my point. Like as much as what Dillingham is doing, and uh, Nebraska with Matt Rule to a certain degree, I think yep. twenty three kids during uh, twenty three players during Matt's rules time. Matt Rule's time have jumped in the portal, but like even those which are pretty massive, massive roster overhauls relatively speaking to what we've seen in the short period of time that we've seen this kind of this kind of thing try to be done it pales in comparison to what Colorado is doing the other one i used as a comparison was last year USC which was the ultimate like Mm-hmm. Hey, turnaround story. This is the way you can flip a wa- roster. In fact, they were the ones who sort of found the bylaw that they could exploit a little bit about. You could run a player off, but as long as you as long as you keep him on scholarship, he won't count against your counters. Um, they had thirty eight new players last year. Thirty eight. Yeah. Dion might get to double that. You're talking about maybe they might get into the 70s as far as new players. It probably won't be total double to get to 76, but they will very good chance that they may have to get to 70 just to be at a reasonable number, just to be pro- approaching 85. So again, nothing like but this. He, but has and ever he wants been done. to. It's not like, oops, look at what we ended that's up. Another with. Good like, that's another good. That's the too. thing that's so baffling to yeah. other folks you talk to. In the recruiting industry, they're like, "Oh wait, he he wants to do this." You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like um, that's something that has always fascinated me in following the portal for the past few years. Is you know, up until recently, Ralph, um, there was a limit to how many new players you could bring in, right? You, I mean, you could find a little bit of wiggle room. Maybe you could get to thirty, but the rule was twenty-five. The rule right. was now you, you have the replacement rule, right? And and we have um, we've waived that rule for a few years. For, for a few reasons, you know, you've got the extra years from, from COVID. Um, you've got all these players in the portal that need to find a home. And, and it, it made, made sense to uh, roll that back. But the thing I've always wondered, there, there's always been a limit to how many you can take up until recently. But there's never been a limit to how many you can lose. And this is the thing we're kind of seeing with Colorado. And obviously, a lot of the attrition, um, quite frankly, was, um, you know, 20 or so players that they cut after their spring game. But there's also some attrition they they probably didn't want to experience too, and so um, yeah, there's there's no that 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 list of how many guys can you lose in one off season? We've never really seen people um, come anywhere close to pushing it to this limit. Yeah, and the the thing I, I even brought I've brought up a couple I've brought up a couple times with Pat last week and Andy Stables and I, your colleague, and I did a radio show on Sirius uh, last week, and we talked about this element as well. Is does the transactional nature of this become problematic moving forward? 
right? Forget about this year. We knew it was going to be a, it, it's a fascinating rebuild. We'll all be watching to yep. see how this works out this year. But the fact of the matter is this is not a long-term strategy. The longer-term strategy is Colorado's got to recruit better players. And you can be a heavy portal team, but you're still going to need to recruit better high school athletes to be to make a significant improvement there. And I guess again, the thing that we'll have to watch is if this is the way you're running your program up front, is that going to turn you off to the type of players that you need to get in there to be long-term sustainable? If they just see like, wait a second, like you treated the last kids like this, how are you going to treat me? No, totally. Um, I, and I think that, I mean, you could kind of call this, some of this stuff like very NFL style, right? I mean, in terms of to having cut downs at the end of spring, um, you know, sort of, sort of feeling like, uh, you know, you, you, you know, let's, let's create more room and we'll, let's take what we think are better players. And, and that's the thing that I think the old school mentality of the, or, or, you know, from, you talk to folks that are, that are very experienced in this field. I, I think they still view it as it's important to have a core group of players. It's important to have players who really want to be at Colorado and that's their dream. Yeah. Buy-in. It's, yeah. Yeah, I think that you 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 talk to them and even the places that want to flip rosters and stuff, they still view it as as much as there's a lot of players available to them now. They still view it as it has to be a significant upgrade in order to want to trade guys out. And that is clearly not that, the case here. <laughs> that is not how Deion Sanders sees this. No. And and look, I I think that 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 now the the one difference not to get too in the weeds on the rules here but the one difference about like doing this NFL style that I think is going to be a little bit tricky is um this you know we we can treat this stuff like a waiver wire but the reality is the NCAA is making it tougher for players to gain immediate eligibility if they transfer a second time so you might and be stuck so, with these guys for a few years that is how well, and they're also they they also you know understandably the NCAA is concerned that the graduation rate on transfers is not good, and they want to hold schools accountable for this. So mm-hmm. the rules are changing, where the undergraduate undergraduate transfers you take um, are supposed to count against your eighty five until they get their degree or go pro. Mm-hmm. So like the this stuff is changing where, and I talked to one um, director of player personnel who said. If we take an undergraduate transfer, we view it like you're stuck with this guy for the rest of their career. You like, got to get that guy to graduation. Yeah. And so if Deion Sanders is taking a bunch of guys um, that are just uh, that, that that just don't fit, that just can't play at Colorado, that they just misevaluated or whatever, um, you, you might say, oh, it's very easy to just run those guys off to the portal and, and recruit over them and things like that. But at some point, uh, you may get stuck with a situation where you actually are stuck with these guys or they're counting against your 85 when they're not there. And so mm-hmm. that that part, people are very fascinated to see sort of what is going to be the medium term of this, because short term. Yeah, sure. Great. You can you can um, people do believe Deion Sanders is capable of recruiting some really talented players to Colorado. You know, can you get enough of them, obviously, is the question here. Um, but, yeah, the is there a long term plan here? Or are you going to be stuck with a bunch of transfers that are went into the portal for a reason and and might have some issues and might not really be the fix you're looking for, to, even just in terms of bringing depth to Colorado? Yeah, right. You just can't run this. You can't run this same game plan every single year. There will be long term uh, 
roster problems for you the way the rules are written right now. Uh, and just to, yeah, just to wrap it up, the other part of it is too, and we mentioned this with some of the good players, like players who you know could play at Colorado in some way, shape, or form, who are landing on, uh, who are getting spots at other Power Five programs or or valuable in the portal. Mm-hmm. And you talked about well, there was a bunch of guys cut. And I'm sure there was a few more who jumped in. That was my point. I'm sure that there was a bunch of you know these players, these types of players who could have played at Colorado and been, um, you know, been useful pieces to a to a rebuild. Who decided? What did you just do to all my friends? I'm out of here. Like this is not for me. <laughs> like 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 yeah. regardless of whether I have a spot or I've earned my number. Like this it, this nonsense is not for me. So that's I think the other part of it that. Colorado, I think, is dealing with now. But again, we're going to watch. It's going to be super fascinating to watch. I do have sympathy to a certain degree for the players who were run off, who just wanted to play at Colorado, right? Like, just yeah. really, and maybe they yeah. won't find a spot and they won't find another scholarship. So I'm not trying to be unempathetic, empathetic mm-hmm. to these players, but. And this is what Andy and I had talked about on our series, on the series show we did together, because I'm sort of in the same boat as him. I also can't be the guy who says we need to give the players more power, we need to give them more money, we need to give them more freedom, and not deal with the consequences of that. I'd be a hypocrite. So, like, I understand. Like, yes, there are some real world Isn't consequences. It interesting, though, to this. how like the way we talk about that stuff and look at that stuff, and I even sense it among talking to college staffers um, who, you know, value retention, value development and the relationship with the player and stuff like that. And wanting to, you know, uh, recruit a player from high school to, to, to pros and all that kind of stuff. But like, don't, haven't you noticed how that conversation conversation has changed either because of NIL or maybe to a larger degree because of portal? Yeah. I, and I think it's a fair way to change it. I think there are still a lot of true believers who are a little shaken by this, the nature of this and find it uncomfortable. Um, but I, I also think that especially when you're talking to people responsible for putting together the teams, not necessarily the ADs and maybe the compliance people and the people who are a little bit in the I don't want to say ivory tower, but away from the football building. Right. They're 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 a. They're a, they're a a section away from the football building. But when you're in the football building, you, I mean, you realize that like your survival is dependent on being a little more cold and calculated these days, you know? So, you know, you learn pretty quickly that you have to put your emotions aside and be a little more cold. Well, and, and, and that's where you can, I mean, look, I'm, I'm sure Dion could, could easily argue, look, you know, anybody that says I'm, I'm doing something wrong here. I mean, look right now, you look at this spring portal window. Everybody's, you know. I don't think he's necessarily doing something Everyone's wrong. I want to be their clear. Players that yeah. they think can't play. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, and right, he's not the only one running people off. It's just that this is so. The scale of this is it's staggering. an extreme amount of it. Yeah, yeah, is staggering. And of course, again, as we've talked about before, it is so upfront and personal. To use the term I've used a lot, is like the revolution is being televised here. Uh, so yes. it is right there for all of us to see, which also makes some folks uncomfortable. Okay, let's let's pivot away because it's a fertile subject. It's fun to talk about, but I feel like we've talked about it a lot over the last few weeks. Let me just pivot away to who's in the portal now, and. 
you know, you do a top 25 and who knows by the time we're done, you're, we're done recording this and, uh, you are listening to it. Listener, a few of these guys could already be off the board and, and, and with a new school. But what we're seeing in the top 25 now is a bunch of wide receivers and D backs, right? Like, I think that yep. seems to be, you know, I, I think if you're looking for line help, that's always hard to find, but it's going to be especially hard to find here. So who are some of the more interesting names at the top of your top 25 available? Yeah, the top three guys right now are are all um, wide receivers. Uh, you know, for for a while it was Jordan Hudson, the wide receiver from TCU, who was a really touted recruit um, in the twenty twenty two class. That you know, a top one hundred guy that um, really everyone on the TCU staff and taken over there. They, they were pretty excited to get him in for the summer and see what he could do. Felt like he had a chance to really uh, make an impact right away for them. And you know, obviously as we saw last season, TCU did just find a wide receiver with Quentin Johnston, the first round pick and um, you know, some veteran guys, Darius Davis also got drafted. Uh, They had a veteran group and that kind of blocked some younger guys from, from seeing the field. And so, you know, they tried to keep Jordan Hudson happy. Um, He had a couple touchdowns late in the season, but uh, ultimately uh, it's it's a player who um, decided that the best move for him is, is to hit the portal. And so I think the expectation is at this point is still that he's going to go to SMU. Uh, he hasn't, com- you know, publicly committed yet, but uh, that's a, obviously a very interesting one when you consider the history of of, uh, of Sonny Dykes and SMU. But it seems like that's the fit for him to to stay uh, close to home here. Um, you know, he was number one until um, until Z- uh, Zachary Franklin uh, from UTSA hit the portal, um, and he is. There's a four year. He's number one. Yeah, there's a four year player in Zachary Franklin who is, uh, you know, was a, a low-level recruit, two- or three-star, who has become a star in Conference USA. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's hard to argue he shouldn't be number one because uh, compared to these guys because um, just the production over his college career um, is is pretty phenomenal. He broke all of UTSA's school receiving records, um, 37 career touchdown um, catches. He had a monster year last year, caught 94 passes, which was sixth most in, in the country over 1100 receiving yards, 15 touchdowns. Um, you know, really the 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 top playmaker on a, a team that has won back-to-back uh, conference titles. And so, um that's one of those situations and and I'm sure you hear plenty of these anecdotally Ralph where um you know, you feel like the 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 coaching staff did did everything they could uh to try to keep a guy. They've got Frank Harris coming back. Um, you know, this is a player who was making some money and stuff like that, but but ultimately um, it's very tempting to go in the portal and see if you can make more and see if, um, you know, you can improve uh, your draft stock. And this is a guy who's been a four year player, but, you know, because of the covid year, he's got one more year and um, he wants to to bet on himself and, and see if he can improve his uh, his situation by going somewhere else. Yeah. And I wouldn't be I don't know. I, I, I suspect all of these guys now I know you're right. Hudson probably looks like he's heading towards SMU. And I, I, we'll get into your number two, Keon Coleman from Michigan State, who is jumped in the portal somewhat surprisingly on Sunday, yeah. along with Michigan State's starting quarterback. Now, from Peyton Thorne's perspective, he had regressed a little last year. He's been there a while. I could see a situation where both he, they, they had an open competition in the spring. I could see a situation with Thorne. Not that he's a bad player, and I, I suspect he's a guy who can go somewhere and start, but I could also see a situation where both Thorne and the coaching staff are looking at each other like, mm, maybe maybe a change of scenery is best for all of us here. Um, that is in, assuming Michigan State has somebody better than him. The Coleman situation 
you know, he's still a, young, a relatively young player, a guy who was a four-star recruit out of Louisiana. Like that to me is a guy who you're just like, wow, like that, that that's a guy you want to hold on to. The fact that he's from Louisiana makes me immediately think LSU, though LSU's receiver room is loaded. So maybe not. Um, but I also wonder if Coleman and Franklin are guys who, you know, maybe have, you know, gotten some calls from Boulder area codes in the last couple of days. I don't know. <laughs> well, and I, and I should say it's not, you know, it's obviously it's not impossible that some of these guys could go back to their schools. Um, you know, Michigan State was able to get uh, Charles Brantley, their cornerback, to withdraw from the portal this morning. So I'm I'm sure they are efforting to get Keon Coleman um, to, to come back there. And, and nowadays, you know, quite honestly, a lot of times that you see, uh, you know, renegotiations go on sometimes with these guys <laughs> who are very valuable to their school. And, uh, you know, maybe if you have the collective and stuff like that, you can figure out a way to take care of someone. Um, but yeah, Keon Coleman was a surprising entry over the weekend and one that, um, you know, really had some big games last year. He's, he's a big six, four, 250 pound, um, wide out. He he also played basketball for Tom Izzo at Michigan State, but decided to focus on on football this year and, and had a, a really good year, almost 800 re- receiving yards. And uh, a guy who I think you probably wonder is he kind of looking at his quarterback situation at Michigan State and wondering should he be in a better spot again to like improve his draft stock and things like that. Um, and yeah, with the the Peyton Thorn thing, interesting timing, obviously, but. You know, I think uh, coming off a disappointing season uh, in East Lansing, it, it, it certainly seemed like Mel Tucker kind of backed off a little in terms of, yeah, you know, Peyton Thorne is a two-year starter, captain both years, obviously, you know, helped lead them to a, a great year in 21. But in the spring, it certainly they, it seemed like they really reopened that quarterback competition, uh, you know, with Noah Kim and, and Kaiten Hauser. And, and I, you know, we're not really naming a starter post-spring and things like that. So I think if you're Peyton Thorne, it, it does make you a little nervous if you feel like you're losing your job or that maybe you're not getting the vibe that uh, you're the guy there anymore, then uh, you're going to go into the portal and and see, you know, I, he's in the mix here for, for Auburn. Auburn is looking at him and Casey Thompson, and I think very likely will end up with one of them. Um, and, uh, you know, if not that, I could see him going to another power five school, not maybe not a big time one, uh, but one where he had a chance to to potentially keep starting. Yeah, I wonder if um if Michigan State now goes tries to find you know it turns its attention to Casey Thompson and tries to maybe go that route or are they just comfortable with Kim and Hauser in the what with what they have. Let me wrap up with this. I want to get out of the portal for just a sec because I think you um had a chance to probably I think you were at Oklahoma's spring game. Do I have that correct? That's right. Yeah. Let me, give me, yeah. What did you see? I'm interested to see, like, what what did you think of Oklahoma's spring game? And I don't know if did you get to Nebraska's? I know you you're a Lincoln native, but I I can't remember if they were played on the same day. They were on the same day, yeah. So had to. I, I went and did a, a road trip down to the the fine state of Oklahoma and visited uh, the Pokes and the Sooners and uh, went to Oklahoma's spring game. And you know, it's it's funny. Uh, Stu and I just talked on the phone yesterday because Stu's, you know, putting together a post spring top 25 and we were both just like wait who's gonna win the big 12 this year like genuinely i i I haven't even really gone through and done the power rankings and i genuinely don't know like who are we supposed to like treat like they're at the top of the of the heap here um i think oklahoma is one that will be better i but i don't like it's hard to get like a, a sense there um that they are going to like just take a huge leap in year two um maybe 
They might, but this is a, you know, after obviously, you know, one of the worst seasons in, in the recent school history, um, you know, they've just changed, they've changed up that roster a ton. You know, they brought in a ton of transfers and guys they are counting on as starters. They brought in a really good freshman class. And I think they feel like they hit on a ton of those guys um, and, and got some early enrollees in that they feel like are, are going to be impactful. But man, that's a roster that's really in transition right now. And, uh, you know, I think that, there's there's no way they're going to be worse than last season but i mean i don't know i i didn't walk away thinking like this team is playing for a big 12 title this year either i think there's still a lot of work to be done all right give me a minute here i, I i'm not sure how much of a dive you managed to get into oklahoma state but i i talking to some folks um about them last week as yep. well and it's a, it's an interesting vibe you know in some ways maybe it's the perfect gundy vibe which means which is which is to say that like it seems like everybody's sort of doing, being rather dismissive of Oklahoma State and it seems like that's when gundy sort of sneaky puts it together um but maybe we're maybe we're expecting too much i mean it just it just seemed like a program that had a bad last season and i'm not sure what the path is to correcting that in a in a in a in a significant way this season. Yeah, you know, they got a lot of attention in December when the portal opened up about wow, like Oklahoma State is losing some players here. You know, they lost um, you know, Spencer Sanders obviously to Ole Miss. They had Mason Cobb go to USC, they had a, a wideout go to Wisconsin. Like they lost some some legit starters uh, to the portal and I think a lot of people put a lot of attention on like what's going on there as as usual, like it's it's very like the reflex is like, uh-oh, what is Mike Gundy doing wrong? What's wrong with that program? <laughs> right, right. They actually went out and got a lot of good players, too. If you just like look at they're not as big in names, but they went out and I think did actually a really good job in the portal of, of getting, you know, starter level guys to to meet all of their needs and stuff. And I think that uh, certainly in, in talking with Mike Gundy, the sense I got was that they're very much. Uh, doubling down on um, our culture is good. We don't have that. This is not a problem. You know, we want guys who want to be here and uh, we're going to keep doing things our way. Our way is won a lot of games here. And, uh, you know, I think they've got some, you know, obviously there's, there's not a lot of talk on Alan Bowman, who I think will be the starter there, but you know, he's, he's been off the radar here the past few years as a backup at Michigan, but they feel like they've got a good one there. Um, And, and I think that they, there's like there is some optimism in that building about what they're doing. Obviously, the the hire of Brian Nardo as DC from Gannon University is is fascinating, and and can they transition to more of an Iowa State style um, odd front defense? Um, and and do they kind of have the personnel to make that work? Obviously, the the Derek Mason thing didn't really work as well last season. Of course, it's tough to to meet what they did with Jim Knowles, um, you know, previously. But like, man, it it's a uh, you know, I, I, they're an interesting team. They're they're yeah. a very interesting team. Mike Gundy seemed um, like seemed energized by by the change and stuff like that. And you know, they could sneak up and and be a contender here. But honestly, Ralph, like you go through that conference, and especially with like Kansas getting a lot better, like I'm I think uh, and and you've got this is the one year of the fourteen teams. Like I'm, I know folks at Texas think they're going to be good. Texas Tech think they're going to be good. K State thinks they'll be good. But like, does anyone in the Big Twelve think they won't win like seven or eight games this year? I, I think that's it. I think because the the league is so wide open, and we saw we saw a team play for the national championship last year, which we're pretty confident is going to take a significant step back. Sorry, TCU. I, you know, what how significant that is is that to nine and three, or is that you know, th- there's a there's a good case to be made that TCU will will 
be similar to Oklahoma State and Baylor from 2021 to 2022. Uh, you know, TCU achieved more than those schools, and I know Chandler Morris gives them a pretty high ceiling. But yeah, yeah. The, the fact that the Big 12 looks so up for grabs, I think, is another reason why everybody sort of has hope, even a place like Oklahoma State, where, and again, I will, I will repeat this, just when things look a little bleak and you want to write yeah. off Mike Gundy, that tends to be when he does it again. Well, and like you've got the four new schools coming in, and like I'm not sure any of those four are, are in horrible shape. But right? I, I, I think mean, they're we, all. We gonna... might be sleeping on like is UCF in pretty good shape to make a run here? Like we don't know. Yeah, I, I would, I would take the under on all of those schools. I think that there is going right. to be a little bit of a learning curve and and a depth curve with those schools where I I don't know if any of them. I would be if you gave me some kind of bet, some kind of parlay where you know. Will any of them challenge for the championship? I would say no. I would say they would all. None of them will be in significant contention come mid-November. Mm-hmm. That's just me. Maybe I'm wrong. I just I I, I think they're all. I, this is this is hard. What they're trying to do is not easy. And yeah. I that doesn't mean in the long term I think they'll all be fine. I think they'll all be kind of like TCU in the long term. They'll adjust and they'll fit. But I think in the short term. That's a that's a lot to ask. So, but the, it's it's a little bit, and I, I'll have to do my deep dive and look at who's like who's got returning experience and who doesn't with this stuff. But I think that, <laughs> I mean, you look at like you know Iowa State; they certainly believe they'll be a lot better there at the bottom of the conference and league play last year. I I think every I think every team in the Big Twelve this year thinks they are, they're at least a bowl team. No doubt. So, yeah. Somebody's not going to be. And we were wrong about some of them last year. Um, you know, Baylor obviously fell off big time. Oklahoma fell off. So, yeah, should be a, 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 a rather uh, intriguing and, and super unpredictable uh, year for that conference. Max Olson is with The Athletic. He is the Portal Authority. Max, thank you so much for coming on and enlightening us with uh, some Portal news and an interesting discussion of Dion. And again, thank you for your patience, Max. You're always welcome on this show uh, when I don't have a scheduling conflict. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anybody very good went in the Portal while we were talking, but I'm sure as soon as we hang up, uh, that's probably going to happen. And now three and First down. Let's put a wrap on the draft. All the first-round picks this year were from Power 5 conferences, something that had not happened in forever, but to be fair, that's a moving goalpost. The definition of what is a power conference has shifted over the years, and with the so-called power conferences gobbling up other programs, it sort of narrows who could be producing those first-round draft picks from the quote-unquote non-Power 5s. It's a little hard to spot it as, Make draw a dividing line between where this starts and where this ends. It is without question part of an overall trend, right? The bigger, more well-resourced conferences in college sports widening a gap between the rest of the conferences. The SEC, of course, had the most picks with 62, the most picks throughout the draft, though the Big Ten was second for the fifth straight year and narrowed the gap a bit with 55. And for those Big 12 fans quick to point out the conference has fewer teams, the SEC and Big 10 both had higher average per teams as well. Though it has been a good bounce back in recent years for the Big 12, which not long ago had some startlingly poor showings on draft days or day or days. Uh, Of course, part of that strong showing this year was Texas. And well, we all know where they're heading 
after 2023. Perception is not quite everything, but it does mean a ton in recruiting. And if the perception is that the SEC and Big Ten, with all their resources and TV money and exposure, are also better paths to the NFL than the march to a Big Two and everybody else just fighting for a fairly distant third continues in college football. Second down. Got into a cordial back and forth on Twitter, yes, that is possible, with a Penn State fan about Joey Porter, the cornerback, slipping out of the first round to the first pick of round two in the draft. It's a costly drop in terms of guaranteed money, which to this fan felt validated his theory that Porter should have come back for a fifth season at Penn State. My point with many of these conversations is that there are only about a dozen, maybe 20 in a good year, players who can really feel as if they are guaranteed to be first-round draft picks. Once you get into the high teens, it comes down to needs and the vagaries and variances of individual teams' draft boards. If you polled 32 NFL teams, you could come up with a consensus top 32 players, or in this draft's case, top 31 because Miami forfeited its pick. But the list of variables that have to fall into place to have the consensus, let's say, number 20 player go in the first round is long and volatile. I want all the players to play more college football because I'm selfish. But the decision to turn pro with eligibility left on the table is rarely going to be clear cut in terms of I should go if I'm a first rounder and I know I'm a first rounder. I tend to default to it's better to get to the NFL and start getting paid, even in the NIL year, sooner rather than later in a job that has such a short shelf life. Third down. Before we go, I want to fill in a blank from my interview with Max. I mentioned a player who was among the latest to jump in the portal who was also highly rated on Max's board, but never did ID that player. At number 10, that would be Louisiana defensive back Trey Amos. He is 6'1 and almost 200 pounds. He started last season as a sophomore and played well, but the interest he is drawing from Power 5 schools suggests that those measurables are really getting people's attention too. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. Please follow so you don't miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.